Vegas casinos, a multi-million dollar heist, a man and his crew of 11, all this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Ocean's Eleven on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Parker and I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. This is the series where we discuss films and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's films are Ocean's Eleven. Let's jump right in. The original Ocean's Eleven, made in 1960, starring, here's a long list, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Richard Kant, Joey Bishop, Henry Silva, Buddy Lester, Richard Benedict, Norman Fell, Clem Harvey, Angie Dickinson, Cesar Romero, Patrice Wymore, and Akam Tamaroff. Directed by Lewis Milestone. Screenplay by Harry Brown and Charles Letterer. Music by Nelson Riddle. Ocean's Eleven, 2001, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Bernie Mac, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jameson, Don Cheadle, Shabao Kin, Carl Reiner, Matt Damon, Julie Roberts, and Andy Garcia. Directed by Steven Soderbergh, who we've done an episode on before with our Solaris episode. He directed the remake. <laughs> anyway, screenplay by Ted Griffin and music by David Holmes. Okay, lots of names in both films. Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? I was aware of the original um, over time, but had never seen it. Um, I knew, you know, it was a Sinatra vehicle, and I tend to stay away from Sinatra acted films. <laughs> uh, although we've seen some good ones with him, so you know, I, yeah. I think maybe I should remove that bias. Um, <laughs> and then Ocean's Eleven to remake. I mean, who who hasn't who hasn't seen it? It's a, a trilogy with a spinoff with. Merchandise, I imagine. I'm sure they got a spot in Disney World at this point. Yeah, I saw Ocean's Eleven pretty soon when it came out, if not in theaters. We watched a lot of Ocean's Eleven between 2000 and what, one and today. I've seen it several times. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Never seen the original. Knew of it. Knew it was a Sinatra thing. Didn't really need to see it. <laughs> kind of like you. I was like, oh, it's all right. I had seen the remake. Yeah pretty early after it came out i saw it on vhs yeah back in those days yeah so um and i have seen it a bunch since then i saw oceans 12 once once just once and i have not seen oceans 13 yet (laughs) so that's where i am with the whole franchise and oceans 8 i saw 30 minutes of it (laughs) so oceans 12 i i don't even remember what happens i think i've seen 13 (laughs) like i remember 13 more because it's just so over the top in 8 i saw in like dolby X, you know, the big, big stuff. Mm. And uh, the person sitting next to me, it was a couple, and they just kept talking the entire movie, which made it mm. better. Oh, good. One of the rare good. times. Very good. All right, well, these are very different films, despite their same name. So this synopsis is going to be very brief. Here we go. Danny Ocean is a con man. With financial backing, he puts together a team of 11 men to rob casinos in Vegas. He also has an ex-wife. 
It takes some outstanding effort, but Danny and his team are able to pull off the greatest robbery in Vegas. Afterwards, each movie ends in their own respective ways. The end. So, I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? It's this guy puts together this team of 11 people to rob Vegas, and ultimately is able to do so. But, uh, like I said, very different in how they do it, and very different in how they end. We have a lot to talk about here, and I guess we'll just start at one of the places that the movies share, and that's our lead character of Danny Ocean. And in the original, as we said, it's Frank Sinatra, and in the remake, we have George Clooney. Did you maybe want to start off this comparison, Reggie? Yeah, so Danny Ocean, our, our title character. From the beginning, I can, I can say this, that we get a more robust picture of who Danny Ocean is early on in the remake. Like The mm -hmm. film starts with George Clooney basically in prison, making the case for why he should be out of prison, telling officials at the jail, I, did you get caught or like are you going to do it again he's like no nah, i'm not going to do it again we know he's going to do it again it's the beginning of the movie <laughs> <laughs> um we also learned that that he has an ex-wife and that's kind of why he might have gotten caught we learned that he had a lot of convictions and this is the only time he got caught too so we learn a lot about yeah. danny ocean the remake like pretty immediately yeah I, I think that that's the strength of the remake which is the stakes are set out very early on all right like this guy is smooth clearly he you know, they have an idea that he did a lot of crimes and they only were able to catch him once. And it seems like, which I'm sure it gets vetted out in 12 and 13, it seems like his relationship with his, his wife is sort of clouded his judgment in some way and caused him to get caught. And, you know, he makes kind of the joke that, you know, well, she's gone now. So, I mean, I won't make the same mistake again because that factor is gone. I think it's a really smart way to just jump into the film, give us everything that we need. The original does not take that pathway at all. Honestly, we don't see Danny Ocean for some time. Uh, a character that we'll talk about later in the film is looking for him for the first several minutes of the film. Again, there, there's not as much to go off of. We get some sort of voiceover thing. The movie opens, it's Christmas in Beverly Hills, and I believe we get a Sinatra voiceover that says, the time when people only think kind, generous things. That's about it for a while. But, you know, as it sort of vets itself out, we do learn that this Danny Ocean has a military background. He was in some sort of airborne platoon during World War II. So that, is, to me, is an immediate juxtaposition where the remake shows you Danny Ocean is a con man, um, you know, criminal, because he is literally in jail for his cons and crimes. This original just sort of shows that he's competent because he's a war veteran. We hear some stories throughout the film, but basically they, his crew got into a lot of sort of insane things in the name of like the army or, you know, the U.S. like military versus this con man who seems to be more of like an independent kind of contractor type of person. What, what was your take on that kind of distinction? I guess it was weird because I had seen the remake before like a bunch of times, like I said. So I was kind of waiting for the, when I was watching the original for like to see like any signs of that George Clooney, Danny Ocean, kinda, but we really don't get it, at least for a while, because it really just comes out, seems like Frank Sinatra, just hanging out with his buddies. Honestly, that's what the whole movie seems like, especially in the first half, because he doesn't really talk about too much about, like, I don't know, like, break, like any felonies or anything, or, like, 
just even the plan, what the plan is. We don't learn about the plan until almost halfway through the original film. So if you come to this oceans like totally fresh, you won't know what the movie's really about. You know they're kind of planning something, but uh, they're for the most part he's just hanging out with his buddies, shooting the shit. And uh, you talked to him about that other character uh, that's looking for him. Yeah, Spiros. So when Spiros is looking for him, like Danny's like, I don't know, he's kind of childish. He's like doing these prank calls with these impressions, which are clearly not Sinatra's voice. It's clearly just some like ADR of these terrible impressions. And he's just doing these pranks on this Spiros guy the whole time and just loving it. Uh, so I didn't get like, oh, this guy's a lifelong criminal. <laughs> this guy's a con artist. All I got was, oh, he sometimes does prank phone calls and he likes hanging out with his buddies. And that's not what I got from George Clooney's Danny Ocean, who's, like you said, we got the whole setup in the prison, he leaves jail, and immediately he's, like, back in a casino, he's hooking up with his old crew, he meets up with his buddy Frank, and then he's trying to find Rusty right away. So, it's just, it's a much clearer, I guess, um, interpretation in the remake. It's like, okay, this is what this guy is, and this is what he wants to do. You don't really get that so much from Sinatra in the original. It really could have went any way, like, up until that, like, 53-point mark when they actually break out the plant, because he didn't even really, like, seem like he was even, like, the guy in charge for a while, because it's, yeah. like, you don't see a lot of him. It's, like, it's really split up a lot, and uh, he's not really that mastermind idea, man, the first half of the original film. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and, um, you know, that does sort of flavor my opinion of some other characters, too, as we progress through this. But you nailed it on the head. I mean, to be honest, your assessment of uh, it seems like he's just hanging out with his buddies is because that's what they were doing. <laughs> like, yeah. throughout the film, you know, if you've got an eagle eye, there's several Vegas signs that, like, the actual actors are performing at those places <laughs> throughout yeah. the week. So, like, their names are there. And, like you're saying, this Danny Ocean, he's playing pranks. He's hanging out with women. Sometimes it's his wife sometimes is not his, uh, his <laughs> ex-wife, you know. So you're getting more of this kind of like playboy, kind of like, you know, laissez-faire guy who, like you said, doesn't really seem to be in charge other than the fact that people respect him, you know. There's a couple times in the film where they're like, hey, you're not saying anything bad about Danny because if you were, you know, you might get one of these. Like you mentioned, it, if you didn't know what you were getting in for, you wouldn't know what the movie was about, to your point, for a majority of the film. It's of strange kind of counterbalance. Like they spent a lot of time collecting their crew yeah. with no concept of what they're even doing. Right. And it, they take their time <laughs> collecting the crew. Very, very slow build in that original film. It, and it's, yeah. And to your point in the remake, what I can appreciate about what they're doing is we know in general kind of what they're up to. Uh, you know that he's a criminal. You know he's going for a big score. So that's all laid out. Like you said, he goes to get Rusty immediately. It's even in the film where Rusty says, excuse me, where Danny says Rusty was the first person he came to see. Because I guess Rusty had given him a few things while he was in prison and stuff like that. But like, yeah, okay, focused. <laughs> he's a very focused man. He's, he's oriented on his task. He's taking it very seriously. And we know Danny Ocean is a mastermind. It makes sense that the movie is now called Ocean's Eleven because Danny's in charge, whereas in this original, you know, Sinatra, he might just be playing pranks that he died, you know? <laughs> but yeah. then he's in the taxi that picks you up. It's just, it was just a strange way to get into uh, the film. 
look, I get it. Like, those guys were so famous at the time that they probably <laughs> could have done anything. They could have been in a scuba gear at some point. Like, it didn't really matter what they were doing. It just mattered. It was the Rat Pack, you know? Yeah. Just wanted to see the Rat Pack do something kind of cool. And I guess back then that was enough, <laughs> you know? You're just going to see the Rat Pack kind of hanging out, talking about dames and what they would do with all the money. I guess we can get into that, the details of some of the shenanigans they get into or some of the semi-racist things they might oh, be doing later. <laughs> Can't wait to get to that. Sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely not what I got. Like I said, I'm, it's weird because I've seen the remake so many times, so I, when I watched the original, I was really <laughs> comparing it to what I already had seen, and which is unfair because this one came out like four decades before that one. But... Sure. You know, it's just Danny Ocean. You just expect it to be this guy who's got everything, like, together and it's like, in charge and everything. And just, nah, he didn't seem like that. He seemed more kind of, you know, of the times, the Frank Sinatra, like Don Draper. He wasn't yeah. Danny Ocean, man. Right. So, uh, right. it was an interesting depiction. But when you think about it, it's really just Frank Sinatra. It's not really anything, I guess, sort of special about the, his Danny Ocean. He didn't really do anything to be making you go, oh, wow, that's, yeah. that's really cool. I mean, Unlike the remake does. Totally. I mean, even making him like a ladies' man has no real impact on the film. You know? Yeah, they introduced two of his love interests, and that really goes nowhere in that original film. And I think it goes back to what you're saying. is like, you know, Frank Sinatra, he's good with the dames. That's right. Uh, That's right. You know, Frank's not going to sing. At least let's show him with the broads, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, in the remake, Danny Ocean, and we learn more about this, is still hung up on his ex a little bit. He's not a ladies' man in that way. He's a charmer for sure, but like he's singularly focused on one woman. And at least w when introducing that woman, it comes into play. So, yeah. you know, without us really diving too much into it, because I really don't think that uh, Sinatra gave as much to work with here. I can just kind of early out the way we do these things. The lead clear winner in this category is George Clooney. He's charming in more ways than just being like a handsome ladies man he's charming in the sense that like he really inspires his people he's very competent with the plan like you trust him because he actually has a plan a good one <laughs> and um you know time and time again throughout the film he shows why he's the leader and you know i think that just by doing that that this danny ocean is the much stronger danny ocean yeah like you said, I think you, you just nailed it. He's definitely the clear leader of this gang in the remake. Not so much in the original. It could, it could be a couple of guys, maybe. Yeah, like you said, just because Frank didn't really give us much, we'll give it to Danny Ocean in the remake. George Clooney, for sure. Absolutely. And then, I guess, you know, obviously we got the Danny Ocean out of the way. I would say that that left space for um, Peter Lawford's Jimmy Foster who's, you know, he's more or less um, Danny Ocean's right-hand man in this film. The equivalent in the remake would be uh, Brad Pitt as Rusty Ryan. And this is hard. I, I think for me, personally, in the absence of Frank Sinatra feeling like a leader, I gave some of that leadership sort of quality to Jimmy Foster. He seemed to be a little bit more serious about the plan, and he interacts with, in my opinion, with more characters in a way that like furthers the film like when there's doubt and stuff like that he helps sort of cement that you know hey don't forget you can trust danny you know so like 
He's doing a lot of what we see Pitt do in this, this other film. But in a sense, I don't think that Pitt, even though he's kind of like the co-lead with uh, George Clooney, he doesn't feel as much like the leader to me as, as uh, Foster does in the original. But I'll say this, that Pitt is clearly, we're seeing this once again, more competent. And it's because we get examples of him being competent throughout mm -hmm. the film. Yeah. Jimmy is the first character of the Eleven that we're introduced to in the original film. So that's an interesting take there. I thought, is that, is that Sinatra? Is that Danny Ocean there? But no, he's for some reason they decided to start with him. Danny Ocean is with him, but we don't see him until later. He's the, um, sorry, Jimmy's the first one, I guess, to get the phone call from Spiros, to just kind of lying to about where, where Danny is and then he's not there. It's, I don't know. They, they don't like Spiros in the beginning or for a while in the film. They like fucking with him a lot. Yeah. So that was interesting. Jimmy also has a very rich mommy that he yeah. takes money from. So I know you think that he takes like this leadership role. But I, to me, because he really depends on his mom a lot for money, that sort of knocks him down a couple notches in my book that he's really dependent on her. And they even ask the question, too, like, if you come from money, well, why, do you, if, why do you even need to do this? He's like, well, you've never met my mom. and She marries all these husbands and she gets all these divorces and stuff like that. So his motivation is a little weak, too. So, yeah, so he's dependent on his mom. And then he has a weak motivation to even be doing this because he has a sweet life. He could just, you know, sit back and do nothing all day. But he wants to do this heist with everybody because I guess he was in the same troop as everybody so maybe there's some loyalty there but I don't know just those t things combined I didn't see him as such a strong character as you did um, and then going to Rusty like you said we see him he's kind of teaching these celebrities how to play poker and it's pretty hilarious scene <laughs> just they, they don't understand anything about the game so yeah we see he has like his own kind of side hustle going on and then like it takes like a Danny Ocean to kind of pull him out of that and so it's like kind of elevate him. So it isn't also uh, an equal partnership. Stanley, it's definitely Danny kind of leading the way because otherwise Brad Pitt's Rusty would have just been stuck there making like kind of chump change as opposed to the, this really big heist. So Danny definitely takes the lead, but Brad Pitt definitely has like some good stuff to do, but he just doesn't have that direction or that vision that, that Danny Ocean has in the remake. I think that's fair. And I think that you point out sort of uh, the weaknesses of both characters. Honestly, for me in the original, because of the absence of any any leadership <laughs> on any real level. I mean, Spiros, who we'll talk about, is inexcentric. And, you know, they. I don't want to dive into them too much. But basically, Spiros isn't the leader. Danny is barely the leader. So <laughs> Jimmy, uh, just because of the amount of screen time he has, what he does, I, I put him in that that category but you're right that um it, you kind of get the same thing uh with Pitt, where he's very capable like but you said he's not he's not the kind of inspirational figure he'll help you get the job done he's got a lot of utilitarian traits to him and mm -hmm. he gets a lot of big moments in the film uh you know as we talk about more like he's the one that makes a major phone call late in the film mm -hmm. and kind of like lays out what has happened so mm -hmm. in that sense i think Pitt though not exactly Danny Ocean's equal, is a lot closer to it. You know, we see several times in the film where he's kind of like, I mean, you even see it from the beginning. Like, in many ways, he held things down while Danny was away. Mm -hmm. uh, anytime Danny goes away, he's the de facto leader. And in that sense, I think you're right that I think he has 
some leadership abilities, but I, I'm I'm grading on a curve because the original like mm-hmm. there's just such a void that I had to fill that in my mind with Jimmy. But to your point, the mama's boy aspect that is that is a weakness and it, it is weak. It does come to actually hurt the crew in the long yeah. run. So. Pretty much ruined <laughs> everything for them <laughs> at the end, but we'll definitely get to that when we go over the plot points. Another thing about Brad Pitt too, he's kind of the one, you know, George Clooney's on the inside, so Brad Pitt's the one that has all the connections to the outside. It's really him that kind of puts together the team. It's like, oh, we need this kind of guy. We know that guy. I know exactly who we can get. George Clooney's. What about this guy? Oh, he's dead. Like you know, George Clooney doesn't even know he's still alive and dead. Right. So it's you know very important character, but like I said, he didn't have that direction and vision. He needed a Danny Ocean to kind of mm. put him there or take him it, there. It felt to me like Brad Pitt, um, who's a very strong and charismatic actor. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, Clooney's Danny Ocean takes a lot of the air out of the uh, oxygen out of the room. Like, I think Brad's doing a good job. But, like, it, you know, it's Clooney's film in, in this particular yeah. case. Like you said, look, Brad, being a strong actor, he, he is. he finds his spots. And I think you're right. I think uh, you nailed it. But based on your assessment... You know, I'm starting to say that uh, Jimmy felt like more of a leader, but I think your points are, are pretty strong. So clearly, once again, um, when it comes to our two leads, the advantage is to the remake. They just fleshed them out better, and they, they just do more useful things. Where yeah. in the original, both of them actually kind of hurt <laughs> the plot. You know? Yeah. And I think we'll be saying this about more of the characters as we go on, but they're just more competent thieves in the remake than yeah. they are in the original despite what happens at the end of that original we don't really get any sign that these guys can do what they what they want to do we haven't seen anything until the heist at the end but at least in the remake like we get little bits mm-hmm. of every character as uh, we were introduced to them to show us that oh yeah they're good for the job or they're necessary for the job yeah. and I, we'll get into that as we discuss the characters more i'm sure absolutely i think the original has the framework to make it make sense. You know, them having this military background, mm-hmm. they talk about some of their exploits, you know, I imagine whatever World War II shenanigans they got into, uh, it appears like they're very competent. But like you said, you, you don't really get shown that. You know, they tell yeah. you, but they don't show you. Exactly. So on the front end, I think that that crew had the makings to be the stronger crew. But what we see in the remake where... To be honest, I guess I get it. You know, it's, uh, it's the criminal world, so it is a bit ragtag in that way. To be honest, there's not really a real reason why this collection is mm-hmm. the strongest collection. But they they do enough to show you that just go. With it, you know, don't don't fight the don't fight the story. It, it's working, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll get into that more as we go. I think the last major character I want to highlight before we get into the actual plan would be sort of our plan man in both films. In the original film. It's uh, Spiros Asobos, played by Akam Tamirov, right? Something like that? Yeah, I think that and, sounds right. And in the remake, you've got Elliot Gould playing Ruben Tishkov. Similar uh, in the sense that they're very over the top. They're, I would almost say, like, stereotypical if I had to, like, flesh them out. I think Spiros, at least in this particular film, I think Spiros, in my opinion, kind of edges it out a little bit because he is the plan man, there, there is some question of his leadership because people do openly question him in the sense of why is this guy here? What, is, what does he actually do? But he's the orchestrator uh, of the plan. Whereas I feel like uh, Elliot Gould plays more of like the financier more than the actual plan guy. Like he has his own 
beef with, uh, as we'll learn in the plan, that brings him in, and that's how they kind of knew they could rely on his money. But we don't see him as much in the film, I don't think. Uh, and besides kind of giving them the money, I, I don't see really Elliot Gould holding a strong sway in the film unless, you know, you had a different take on that. No, he do, he really doesn't have much to do after he's sort of introduced. He does have a great introduction where he goes over the three robberies, uh, the most successful robberies in Vegas up till that point, uh, and a hilarious sort of montage and great use of take my breath away but um after that yeah he really doesn't do much to contribute he is the the financier of the whole scheme but he doesn't really uh do anything and you kind of see him a little bit uh later in the movie at the fight just because it's his casino that was demolished um because uh it was a benedict just took over his casino but yeah i mean he's, he's funny in the beginning but doesn't really do much after we focus on the other guys in the film spiros kind of a weird it's a it's a weird depiction also like i said before danny ocean loves just playing pranks on him and uh always just like i don't know because you said he's kind of the one that put everything together but i always feel like he's always like in the dark like what he doesn't know what's happening <laughs> that's kind of what i yeah. saw it, him in a lot it's like this over-the-top portrayal it kind of reminds me of like uh what's his name zero mostef or whatever from uh, the producers yeah. he he has this yeah. uh he has this very specific character. I'll, I'll edge him out a little bit, because like you said, he is in the dark quite a bit. And I mean, quite a bit. But you know, throughout the film, he, he's making arguments for why they should kind of stick together. He's you know, making arguments about why is this person in the crew? And then like you mentioned, because he's in the dark, he doesn't realize that like the guy with the broken arm, the cowboy character for some reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, Neither one of them do much in the film, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I do like Elliot Gould's, like you said, that one scene is very, very strong. But then after that, uh, there's nothing there. Spiros is a little bit more present throughout the film. And though he doesn't do much, I think, in a film where not many people are doing much, I'm going to take it out of just pure necessity. I'll say that Occam's portrayal in the original... I'm slightly edging it out, but honestly, if you made it a push, I wouldn't fight you. Yeah, I mean, it's they're kind of equal. Like Occam's Spiros was, I don't know, he's kind of a one-note character for me. He just it was kind of just the same thing, just kind of in the dark, just always worried all the time. And then, oh, Danny's just playing a prank on you. You didn't have to worry. Uh, but he at least does get more screen time, and to his strength, I'll say he's one of the more memorable characters in that original film. Because I don't really remember a lot of the guys um, who were in the heist. But he's not one of the Ocean's Eleven. That's an interesting point. Um, well, Elliot Gould is one of the Eleven. So you got that. I don't know if that really affects anything. Uh, I'm going to kind of take the coward's way out and kind of give them a tie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. The one X factor for me is technically it's his plan in the original. So, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, fair enough. You know, not going to argue there. Not, but he's not even the one that even outlined the plan or executed it. So. Yeah. You know, they weaken the character in the original film, as they do often in that film, um, by having characters openly ask why he's involved and what his purpose is. So I could see why you would say the same thing, Dan. <laughs> why is he here? <laughs> but honestly, the star of both of these films isn't even the actors. The star is the plan. So I think uh, it might be time to try to break down as best we can what these plans are. Yeah. 
So we have very different plans and that require very different heists and have very different outcomes. So we will start with the plan. I've kept it pretty vague, so feel free to add anything you have in your notes, Reggie. The original film, uh, the plan, which, like I said before, we don't hear until minute 53 of the movie. I was like, finally! <laughs> like, they're just talking, hanging around. I mean, in that original film, I just gotta say this quote, because it, it was so poignant to the movie at that point. Okay, there is one line that Spiro says in the original. He's like, I gotta listen to all this? They're rotting my brain. I was like, that's interesting, because that's kind of how I feel. <laughs> I think I listen to all this shit, and it has nothing to do with anything in the movie for 53 minutes. So, good on Spiros for uh, helping me out there. Anyways, the original plan was to rob five different casinos at the same time after midnight on New Year's Eve. The plan in the remake will be to rob three casinos, but all their money is going to be in one location, and it takes place during a boxing match where the casino will have more money than usual. Now, I don't know if you want to get into details. Um, yeah, so, you know, honestly, because the original film is more or less an advertisement for uh, the Rat Pack, <laughs> um, the five casinos they're hitting are the Sahara, the Riviera, Desert Inn, Sands, and the Flamingo. Not that it really matters. The plan is pretty rudimentary. Really, it more or less requires knocking out the power long enough to make this heist. There are some details that you have to fill out between there in terms of them sort of knowing where to walk and stuff like that in the dark. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, boy, yeah. A lot of uh, <laughs> spraying the floor with some sort of substance that lets you see footprints and handprints and stuff like that in the dark if you have a flashlight. Uh, and special glasses. <laughs> and this, yep, the they live glasses. <laughs> um I will say this, that, uh, you know, in terms of characters that kind of matter, this does elevate our character in the original film, Tony Bergdorf, who mm -hmm. is our master electrician. I'll take some time out now to talk about Tony because he does sure. matter. Tony Bergdorf, who's played by Richard Conti, who is, I would say, third major character in this film. He's the master electrician, which, as I mentioned, that elevates him because mm -hmm. the plan is to knock out the power. He was in jail, very similar to Danny Ocean in the remake. He has some of the strongest motivation in the film in the sense that once he gets out of jail, he doesn't want to go back to jail because he has, you know, an ex-wife now, but he's got a young son that he's kind of now estranged from. And his motivation really is to make enough money because we find out, dot, 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 that he has the big casino. The big casino? Tell me, Doc, it's the big casino. <laughs> which apparently was slain for cancer. And... So he's very hesitant to join the 11 crew, but when he finds out that he's probably going to die anyway, he wants to make enough money to send his kid to college, basically. So honestly, the only person I could say with a real motive to do this, um, mm -hmm. if you really break it down, because everyone else's motivation, and, I guess, is money. Yeah. <laughs> and really one of the important people in that crew in the original film like he has that like you said he has a very specific role he has to kind of rig the electronics in each casino so that the doors will open once the power goes out right mm -hmm. i believe that's exactly what he has to do so he has to prep for uh, every casino then he has to actually like manually do it the night leading up to that that power out so he has a lot of heavy lifting without him <laughs> it will not work the plan so he's a very important player in that original film richard conti with this strong portrayal, um, you know, his interaction with his son was strong. I thought that was a, 
That was very good. It's one of those Japanese abacuses. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I love the hokey kid scene in that film. But like you mentioned, without him, none of this works. So he's super important. But really, that is the plan. Like, I found it very strange, by the way, since we're talking about this plot, mm-hmm. that everyone, they flew out to Vegas, and the next day, everybody had a job. Now, one of them was a lounge singer <laughs> at a casino. You know, you got guys um, working directly with the casino in, in a way that... I was incredulous, let's put it this way. I didn't think that that made a lot of sense based on what we were seeing. But, you know, look, it, it's a straightforward plot. Everyone has their, their role. You figure out how the casino comings and goings work. You knock out the power. You steal the bags of money. And uh, you got Sammy D- Davis Jr., who plays Josh Howard, or Little Joshy, as they like to call him, who um, he's a getaway driver. You know, he stored the, the money in, like, trash bags. He takes the dump truck or whatever and gets away with the money that's mm-hmm. more or less the big plan also he rigs an explosive to one of the electrical that's towers that's to that's help the power go out so he has two very important roles yeah in my opinion i guess you by default it's danny and jimmy uh they're they're super important for not really heist reasons you got tony bergdorf who is the central in my opinion character in this film you take him out of it there is no plan there's no film there's no major motivator here um and we do learn later in the film that um his outcome is very essential to whether or not this plan succeeds or fails and then sammy davis jr who uh honestly and we may talk about this a little bit through our portrayal at the time because of race relations in this country sammy davis (laughs) jr is sort of kind of defeating all the odds to be a major player in this film and I think that, like you said, charisma-wise, he's memorable. His plan actually matters. He has some better jokes, um, though there may be some racial undertones <laughs> with the big joke. But, like, I don't know, Sammy Davis Jr., and he sings the song. He sings the big theme song. <laughs> Yo, we love Yo, we love So, you know, Sammy Davis, and like you say, uh, he, he does the explosives. I think that if you look at the remake sort of cribbing kind of ideas from the original film that clearly Bergdorf's electrician and Sammy Davis Jr.'s, you know, the dump truck that comes back into play, the explosives that comes back into play in a big way. Those two are kind of the underpinnings of this film. And I think that's why we see the recurrence of sort of their roles in the remake. So one guy, you mean Dean Martin. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Dean Martin makes out with a drunk chick who apparently got paid in a vehicle. (laughs) For her yeah, role. Not just any drunk chick. Shelly McLean. Yeah. 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 Shelly McLean. And honestly, and this is how crazy this film is, in one of the more memorable roles in the film. Yeah. <laughs> she has an uncredited cameo and is one of the more memorable scenes because of its, you know, edgy subject matter, especially in today's day and age. Drunk yeah. woman comes out of her car on the, and then some strange man comes up to her this day and age. Oh, that ain't good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, I'll say this, though, she has some agency. I mean, it's a little <laughs> questionable, but she uh, she has some pushback there. Um, also, uh, I guess... She has we, the worst friend ever, too. Worst. Oh, you're pretty drunk. Here's your keys. I'm going to drop them on the ground. I'll see you later. Yeah, terrible <laughs> I mean, what the hell? <laughs> uh, I guess her scene also is important because it reminds me that uh, this is a New Year's heist. So, I guess both films do have... The distraction, the big distraction. So in the remake, it's the boxing match. In the original, 
it's New Year's, so I guess loud noises may play a little bit better when we see explosions and power go out. So, I don't know. Um, the plan, it, it's a plan. Um, it, it, it works until it doesn't work, which we'll talk about a bit in the ending. But it's executed more or less, which I think we'll talk about when we get into the ending. But um, unless you had anything else you wanted to flesh out about that plan, I think we really gave it about as much attention as it as it deserved. Should we go into like how they actually executed it, or do we want to save that? Because I just wanted to talk about one little thing about the actual execution of that plan. I mean, we'll save that, I guess, because we also got that high-tech spy shit we should talk about, too, yeah. so we could save that. I, I think um, let's let's lay out the plan okay. for the remake, and then we can sure. sort of talk about the execution. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to add to the original plan, so I think we could just go into the remake. Okay. Sure. So, yeah, without getting into, you know, the success of, of either plan, we can talk about the remake plan, which, honestly, I'll probably need more of your help with, um on this sure. one what? we sort of have a one-to-one -one comparison not quite but uh there's a bad guy in the remake and i guess very late in the game in the original there's a bad guy <laughs> that sh sort of shows up out of in my opinion i mean he was there. some kind of joker you might say <laughs> yeah a bit of a joker wow. <laughs> I like all right you thank you there. thank you thank you <laughs> I, I'll never forget the uh, the mustache showing through the makeup. Oh, yeah. I, that's, I had to tell Sam as we were watching this. You know he was the Joker, and they painted over his mustache. <laughs> so good. So in in the remake, there's a, a character that is kind of central character, Mr. Santos in the original, um, who I, I don't want to dig into him too much because he is a late-game player, but I would say uh, Terry Benedict, played by Gar Garcia here, is... A little bit more central because he is a motivator for several characters and honestly the plan mm -hmm. is the plan because of who he is so let's mm -hmm. take some time to talk about him not only not only did he mess up uh, elliot gould's uh, tishkoff's casino which we see get demolished not only he also took danny ocean's girl he's dating no dip tess ocean played by julia roberts that that's a that's a sin in Mr. Ocean's world, wouldn't you say, Dan? <laughs> he does not like that one bit. Not, not one bit. So we got, which I think is a strong point, we have a centralizing, grounding figure here, which is, hey, here's a bad guy. Why are we robbing a casino? We don't like this guy. Cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> money, money's great. And as the original shows, money is not enough of a motivator for me, outside mm -hmm. of, like, if you have a reason for it, which Bergdorf's kid. In this case, there's at least two characters that want benedict out of the picture for his dealings and let's put it this way so like i said i, I think i am going to need your help with this this mm -hmm. one uh you know we amassed the crew but more or less the plan is to distract with this uh this boxing match while danny ocean and his crew can get several different things in place i mean it, it requires call reiner's character to get i don't know you, i think you got to help me man i'm we could just, do you want to talk about maybe, like, what each character kind of does? Would that help? I think, I think that helps. flesh it out a little bit? I think that helps. So, right. Yeah. So, so obviously we said Danny Ocean was orchestrating everything. But maybe if we get into what the other characters are doing, it'll help us kind of flesh out the plot more. Okay. So Bernie Mac was uh, actually the first character that Danny Ocean sees when he gets out of prison. Pre plays Frank Catton. And uh, he's pretty much just a, a dealer mm -hmm. uh, at a casino. He... Atlantic City, good old AC, <laughs> local. Um, so he 
transfers over to Vegas. Uh, he's useful in a couple ways. Uh, he gets all the pretty much the blueprints and the layout of the casino, so we know how the vault looks, which is important because they're going to need to replicate that. And he's also going to be kind of a, a bit of a diversion to help us get the codes later. Um, then we said, uh, oh, then we have these twins, these Mormon twins, Virgil and Turk, played by Casey Affleck and Sean Conn. Ah, the They're twins. Yeah, they are odd. They are odd. They're very much there, I think, for comic relief because they're always just fighting and yelling at each other. Uh, but they also have like, they do a lot of the sort of the I don't know how do you describe this sort of the low <laughs> low jobs. Like we got to get move this from here to here or just like do this random shit. That's that's a you know Danny Ocean can't be expected to do this thing. So like you lower level guys can handle all that the grunt work. Oh, let's call it. Yeah, they're doing the grunt work yeah, for the I'd most so. part. Uh, but Casey Affleck also does have a little bit of a he's a little tech savvy, I should say. So which we'll, we'll see later at the end. Then we have our big tech guy, uh, Livingston Dell, played by Eddie Jimison. He's charge of security. He doesn't really do much uh, later in the film, but he does needs to break in to hack the security so he can have access to all the cameras yeah. and everything. Uh, and then you said it before, we have our Cogni <laughs> accent oh, yeah. guy. Oh, we have Basher. Trouble. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Trouble. Uh, played by Don Cheadle, who says he hates that <laughs> that he did that accent. He wanted not to do it in the second and third movies, but he had to do it, so that was unfortunate for him. <laughs> but he's our he's our explosive expert very important to getting that safe open we have the amazing yen played by shabo quinn he's our grease he's man. our guy on the inside yeah he's the grease man he's gonna be inside he's gonna be there to help us rig the bomb to get that safe open then we have carl reiner he's gonna, he's gonna do his finest acting here he's gonna be portraying this sort of um i don't know this russian kind of important rich millionaire guy who He's going to be kind of, he's going to be the way that we get uh, the explosives yep. into the inside of the safe. It's also sort of just to keep an eye on the uh, security room because he needs to distract them while they kind of swap the cameras to to make sure people don't get spotted. Like Matt Damon's Linus Caldwell, who uh, is kind of, I don't know, he gets picked on a lot by Danny and Rusty. <laughs> Which, which I can appreciate. Um, <laughs> that character, boy, does he seem out of place to you? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. It's his, his job is not so clear as to what he's doing. I mean, he does... He almost seems like he's like the apprentice to Danny I, I in a way. <laughs> That's see, kind of how I interpreted it. I see that. He, like, he does a lot of trailing people. He is mm -hmm. good at sort of uh, pickpocketing and sleight of hand and things like that. But you're right, he does things that, like, Danny Ocean can already do, and sort of like the Malloy twins, and we do see a kind of a funny beat where he's stuck in the, uh, the van with the Malloys. Yeah. He, he is very low on the rung for um, a character that actually gets a, a weird amount of uh, screen time, whether it's actually mm -hmm. collecting him at the beginning of the, of the film out of Boston. Like, that was a, that was a decent amount of film time, mm -hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, ultimately he kind of also fits a comic relief category with uh, the added bonus of being a capable comic. Yeah. So everybody, I'm just I might deviate a little bit, but everybody has a pretty important role to play in the remake, mm -hmm. which is one of the strengths of the remake. That's not really true of the original. 
like we we went over a few of the important characters and there's a reason we're not really going to go over the rest of them it's because the rest of them are pretty forgettable in that original film they don't have specific roles they don't even have screen time like you you mentioned the the cowboy like that's it that, that's his big moment when he arrives with that broken arm he doesn't really do anything for the rest of the film that i can remember and it could have been anybody honestly so yeah. A big strength of the remake is not only having this huge cast, but actually giving each person something very important to do, without which the plan wouldn't work. And right. that cannot be said of the original. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, smart of you to break this down by character, because it actually helps us outline the plan, versus this original film where, I mean, if you can punch a guy every once in a while, you're pretty much part of the crew. Um, <laughs> the, again, the characters even undermine themselves at times when... Uh, uh, one, I forget who it is. Uh, was it Dean Martin's character who basically was saying that he he thought that they were, had lost a step, that it wasn't you know the war anymore, that they were older and yeah, you know it was him. That's the c- type of contribution we're seeing from our characters <laughs> in the film, which is like I don't know, we could do it, boys, but I'm still with you. Um, <laughs> versus like, even no matter how bit a character someone is in this remake. Bernie Mac, you need the you need him in the casino. You need him on the floor, yeah. uh, able to get people's key cards, access, like you said, blueprints. Super important, super important. Casey Affleck and Malloy, you need those guys to get that uh, that cart with the grease man in there. You know, you take that out of the equation, the, the plan doesn't work. So no matter how much comic relief they are, they serve a purpose, dude. Whether mm-hmm. it's getaway driving and you know getting things where they need to be. Once again, you, the amazing Yin, uh, you know. Barely speaks uh, English, but like mm-hmm. once again, if he can't do that crazy backflip <laughs> onto, <laughs> onto like a, something in the vault, what plan doesn't work? Yeah, Eddie Jimerson, I think he has one line. I think I think yeah. he has one line in English. It's what like fuck. What, what, yeah, what the fuck took so long? <laughs> what the fuck you been? That's it. It's and, great. It's, <laughs> oh, he was all. You get the little added drama of his bandage. I guess he. Yeah. He's the arm-broken guy in this one, I guess. Uh, <laughs> there you go. His bandage gets stuck, and like, oh, are we going to blow up the only Asian character in the film? <laughs> I sure hope not. Eddie Jemison, who I like in a lot of things, he does his thing here with the tech. So, I mean, everybody has a role. And, I mean, it all basically, if I had to, like, describe their plan, as it were, it's you take uh, Carl Reiner playing a high roller who has a briefcase with the explosives in it, get that into the vault which he does by basically saying like i want my you know possessions in your vault and andy garcia's character goes for that mr benedict you get your grease man in there with affleck and malloy and from there that allows you to do different things with the cameras matt damon comes back into play because he has to steal um access codes from uh benedict Bernie Mac comes into play because he's the mm-hmm. reason why Matt Damon is even in the same room as mm-hmm. Benedict. So there's all this interplay, and that's the strength of this Ocean's remake. Uh, there, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's kind of a parody of it now in uh, Rick and Morty. If, Which if one? You, Rick and Morty in the most recent season. I don't know the name of the episode. Uh, don't you know? Don't hold me to the flames on this. <laughs> but more or less, it's like a series of uh, collecting people for a plot and it's like rick you son of a bitch (laughs) oh yeah i've seen that i think one of my favorite parodies of it is the the south park episode though after obama won the election the first time and then like everybody who was running was like it was all an elaborate plan to do some heist or something 
yeah. South Park. So it, it's yeah, it's it's pretty good. These parodies. And, and it's like uh, in some sense because of the strength of this film, uh, the parodies were able to to land because it's like oh yeah, that is kind of what they're doing. You can make fun of it because. It, it's true, you know, like you need all these little big characters and there are things that can stretch the imagine, imagination a bit with, uh, you know, even Damon getting lost in there, Eddie Jemison dropping his device on the floor and having it. There, there are moments where if this one guy was looking at the camera, he would notice mm -hmm. that the, the loop was off. But like, that, that's the fun of it. The fun of it is there are moments where um, the plan could all fall apart and, and it doesn't. Those are the plans, the execution. We'll start with the original because that is the simpler of the two. I might be getting a little off track here, but the original film spends a lot of time, because we are doing five different casinos, so it spends a lot of time with like the prep for it. So we, we there's like, <laughs> you know, this is great sort of montage <laughs> in the original film of just like, let's go to a casino, and then we have to rig the power there, then we have to go to the next casino, and rig the power there, and they do it for every uh, wh casino. If you, don't, if you don't mind while you're doing that, and they go to the next casino, ain't that a kick in the head? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, we're hearing songs over and over again at this point. The EO11 theme, Dean Martin singing, ain't that a kick in the head for the billionth time? <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. And then the night of the plan, we have to do it again. We have to go to every casino, lay out everything so that it works for every casino, one at a time. Yeah. And it, it really drags out. So I just, I just had to mention that in the original film. <laughs> but moving on, like we said, they have to knock out the power, rob each casino. So they do that. Like we said before, they have this spray, this magical spray that only they can see with their glasses. Um, so they're able to know which door to go to. And then they go to the back of the casino, to the safe in each casino, which each every safe has the name of the casino inside of it, so you know which casino they're robbing, thank God. Um, but they go there, and there's like one or two guys in the back of every casino, and then they just shine like flashlights in their faces and go, okay, you just keep singing and we're going to take the money. Okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Like, that was the plan? Let's just show up with put flashlights in these guys' faces and steal the money? Like... They didn't have guns. I mean, they didn't have, like, maybe their fists, maybe. they. I saw them choke a couple of guys out. Right. But, like, that was the play. You're going to knock the power out and then just kind of walk in the back and it's, bully these guys and to get the money. It was it, very, it was pretty weak. Yeah, it's very original Italian job in that sense of, like, yeah, if we, like, spray these guys and, like, punch these two guys, the plan will work. Like, you <laughs> it's, know, it's loose. I mean, in a very ridiculous way like they kind of foreshadow the ability to do so we see uh when honey face is dancing early on in the film um you know when uh honey face's uh husband i don't even remember the guy's name and he's part of the crew by the way yeah i don't remember him ever again <laughs> but like when when that fight happens like uh ocean and forest will stay out of it because like hey look there's only there's only two of them you know so clearly as long as there's two guys any one of them could take them out now, if you add another guy, then someone else may have to get involved. So it's that sort of uh, 60s, ridiculous machismo thing where it's like, I'm going to shop you or like I did in the Manchurian <laughs> Candidate, and that's going to be it. And you're right. Like, that is a very loose way to have this plan work. And to be honest, speaking of execution, I think the reason why we see some of the endings that we see is because the plan is this stupidly loose. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of loose ends that we're not taking care of. Um, and to your point, it takes so long. 
to steal <laughs> from five different casinos. Thank God in the remake, there's one vault. Yes. <laughs> Very smart decision of the remake. Good cut, as we like to say. But yeah, I mean, like what? You go in, you punch a guy, you take the money, you throw it in a trash bag, and eventually Sammy Davis Jr. is going to like pick it up? I'm like, is that what I'm... That's, that's what I got from the movies because i guess they after they throw the money in the trash then they kind of go back to whatever hotel they're staying in because vegas is kind of closed down so like every car that tries to leave vegas they get gets searched except for the sanitation trucks not going to search those stinky all that stinky lettuce no way we're going to search it so just let them through whatever <laughs> random garbage truck in the sunday morning 3 a.m why not <laughs> after yeah. new year's uh, yeah, I guess that's the plan. And then we just hide it at the dump, and we wait mm-hmm. till the heat dies down, and then we'll retrieve the money, I think that's, was the plan. That's more or less the plan. In this film, there is a snag in the plan, in mm-hmm. the sense that uh, Tony Bergdorf's character, the man with the big casino, does succumb to his uh, illness. Ailment? Yeah. Yeah, ailment, illness, whatever you want to call it. So Tony Bergdorf literally has a heart attack in the streets, which is a loose end because, um, you know, we can kind of source him back. And we find out, without getting too far in the ending, we find out that Jimmy Foster's mom's future Fiance. husband yeah. is a mafia guy called Mr. Santos. And who's actually one of the other memorable characters yeah. in the film. Um, I'd say he's my favorite character. In I, think, I think so. <laughs> Just, he, he has, you know, Romero, he's... He's having so much fun. And He's good in this one. Slaps himself on the knee. Ah, yes, son of a yeah. bitch. Yeah, yeah, got me. We should, we should save that for the ending, though. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep yeah. into his character. But uh, but I mean, let's put it this way. So, Bergdorf's death is a clear snag in the plan because it does sort of point to a little bit of evidence of who may have uh, perpetrated this crime, which potentially comes back in the film. I think mm-hmm. we'll discuss that a bit bites them in the ass a big hard way yeah it does yeah it does in the remake i would say the biggest snag kind of solved pretty quickly is the pitch you know trying to get um well there's a lot of sort of fake outs i guess you could say that aren't necessarily like bad things happening to them but they're made to look bad to the audience like danny ocean gets red flagged and then we're led to believe that Rusty is taking full charge of the crew at that point, and then oh you're out, um, you can't you can't do this job with us. But Danny shows up at the casino anyway, and you think oh man what's he's gonna ruin the whole plan? But no, it was just uh, Danny and Rusty messing with uh, Linus okay. because uh, Danny was fine. You th- and you even think he's gonna get beat up by uh, some muscle, but then it turns out Danny knows the guy really well and it was just to help danny like escape and meet up with linus to do the plan later yeah so it's like a lot of these fake out things and then like we said yen almost like got stuck and you're like oh man he's there's the drama but then it turns into this hilarious bit about batteries and linus actually teaching you know danny something so nothing uh, really goes wrong for the crew let's try to i guess kind of break that down if we want to go over from an execution standpoint because you're right the fake outs the parts that make you think that perhaps the plan could fail, which is, mm-hmm. again, a strength of the film, knowing that potentially could fail. Like you said, Danny Ocean being basically discovered as being in Vegas, that is seemingly a problem. Mm-hmm. That, uh, like you said, with the bruiser, that gets kind of solved in that, like, yeah, he knows a bruiser, so that's okay. 
Bernie Mac getting found out. His name's not Ramon, it's Frank C. Well, that's okay, because Matt Damon <laughs> is going to be the FBI inspector. When Eddie Jemison is almost caught, you know, rigging the camera, that's okay. Well, that one was closer to actually being a fuck-up versus... <laughs> yeah, that one that one, and uh, Yen injuring himself were, like, yeah. the two big fuck-ups of the crew, Those really. Those were the two big ones, because even uh, we, we see a moment where um, Carl Reiner is seemingly kind of taking the Bergdahl uh, role of being the sick version, because we're sitting there, and we're like, mm -hmm. ooh, is Saul Bloom okay? And yeah. turns out that's kind of, like, part of it, too. Uh, it really... That one really yeah. got me, actually. I thought he was having some real problems. Yeah, but then you see Brad Pitt show up in, and actually in Austin Powers' wig. <laughs> Just a little trivia there. And so it's like, oh, it's Brad Pitt pretending to be the Doctor. Oh, he'll, he'll be okay, too. So yeah, a lot of these little fake-outs towards the audience, which are all fun, because like you said, you think everything's going wrong, but then it's just the, the film being playful with you. No, nah, I was fine. Yeah, see, everybody's fine. It's just a fun part of the film. Yeah, even like the Malloy twins, you're like, oh, they don't have a key card, but that's part of the plan. Like, it, mm -hmm. that is kind of what puts like that Danny Ocean into that sort of super superhero role almost even though it's like grounded in reality it's like he's got a plan for everything he even has a plan we find out for getting his girl back like this isn't yeah. just a heist <laughs> about like stealing this guy's money to stick it to him that's part of it but he also wants to catch this guy in the act of being like a shitty I guess boyfriend or something like that and even mm -hmm. that works out from an execution standpoint since we kind of all these other minor fake outs or minor fake-outs, I think we can kind of start easing into the end, as it were, if, if, unless you have something else you want to talk about. No, we, I think we could go ahead and move on to the end. Okay. I'm going to start with the remake ending because um, okay. we're on the theme of fake-outs here. Okay. Uh, I was, um, you know, re-watching it, because it's been a while since I watched Ocean's Eleven. Rewatching mm -hmm. it, I was like, I was like, why is Brad Pitt calling benedict in the middle of this heist like they're just they're not done stealing the stuff so like i don't even know why he's revealing right. that they're stealing the stuff and it turns out that that's also <laughs> part of the plan because a lot of the footage that we're watching and maybe i should have even thought that this was possible because we see an entire recreation of the vault <laughs> <laughs> earlier in the film when they're like basically like plotting this out turns out what we're seeing is a recording because it looks like to get out of the casino, now that Benedict has been tipped off, Danny and his crew have to take the money from the vault out of the casino. They basically booby trap it, we learn, saying that, like, we left half your money here. You're going to let our guys leave this casino because the other half is also booby trapped. And if you want people to find out you lost 160, whatever it is, million, billion, whatever dollars, or you can keep 80 which is actually we find kind of similar to us. Uh, yeah, 50% is something is better than 100% of nothing. <laughs> exactly. We see that that's an, an allusion to the previous film. But like Benedict, who we learn to kind of fear as a character that is very capable. He's got cameras everywhere. He's got eyes everywhere. He, this guy's a machine. He's a robot. <laughs> you know, Matt Damon talks about. But, you know, all of that. And again, it's the big fake out because, like you said, we're only as an audience being revealed so much. So when it looks like the SWAT team is there and they're going to actually catch these guys, um, turns out this is a previous recording of a fake robbery. Brad Pitt and the crew are the SWAT team. They, you know, they steal the money. They catch uh, Mr. Benedict on camera saying that, like, he'll take the money over Tess Ocean. So 
Danny Ocean puts himself back into the room with the bruiser, seemingly being beat up the whole time, with no evidence that he's the one that pulled off the heist. And it's a it's a masterstroke. I mean, for what this movie does well is it makes all the characters part of the equation much better than the original. But mm-hmm. also it um it plays with the audience's uh, knowledge of what's going on. So like we we know there's a plan, but we don't really know what the plan is. We think we do, mm-hmm. but we don't right. know what the plan is. And being left in the dark that long into the film is the greatest strength of the movie and uh allows us for this big, big reveal at the end, which um which I appreciate. Yeah. It's what it's what makes the movie so fun, really, uh, because you think you know it's going to happen, and then they're not only tricking you know Benedict and everybody at the casino, but they're also tricking you, the audience member. It's like you thought you knew, but you didn't really know. We showed you little teasers, like what was that air freshener, that pine tree air freshener? Oh, here it is again! It's in the SWAT car, and you thought Carl Reiner was dead. Well, here he is going down as the SWAT team member. We're all having fun. We're all having a good time. Um, it's believable enough too. I think that's the important part because it's. You know, to pull off this fucking heist is pretty impossible, but they did it in a believable enough way, in a cool enough way as well, with the, their cool little montages. And that's uh, one of the strengths of the remake, again. It's uh, like I talked about how laborious the original was because we got to see one casino, then the next casino, then the next. And then, like, they do a lot of things where it's like, it's like a voiceover montage where like they're describing the things that they that they want to happen but they're actually happening as they're describing what they want to happen. Mm-hmm. So it moves things very smoothly in that remake and it that's really like that because especially after watching the original just how slow it was to get everything done in that original film. So um, you know, they do that montage thing a lot in the remake and it's it's not overly done where you're like oh another montage it's it's done in a cool way which we hadn't really seen up until that point right now I, we can argue in the later ocean films it's still cool but <laughs> 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 but um no i mean it, it's excellent use of time because both films clock in around a similar amount of time which to be honest for both films that is quite a bit of length for what like there's not much here <laughs> In either film, we really think about it. the plot is pretty straightforward, but because we flesh out these characters, and like you mentioned, the use of like describing the plan while actually executing the plan, awesome use of uh, time and not like mm-hmm. getting bogged down in we've described it and now you're seeing it. You're seeing it real yeah. time and keeps things moving. It is cool, like, you know, even in the situations where we make any regular guy like us sweat. Danny yeah. always got it <laughs> together, Yeah, man. Danny Ocean's is cool. Brad Pitt's always just eating some shit. Yeah. You know, they're all cool, man. Like, like even when the bruiser hits him, he's like, that's it's supposed to be later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, uh, Danny. Yeah. You know. How's your uh, wife? Wife pregnant again? Something like that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's cool. Like, yeah, I get why uh, Vegas tough would, like, be friends with Danny Ocean, you know? Um, or even Rusty Ryan handing uh, the burlesque dancer or the stripper a couple of dollars and was like, how's your mom? Well, you yeah. know, if you wait five minutes, she's on next. I'm like, that's fun. <laughs> I, I feel like we're in on the fun as the audience in this remake. Mm-hmm. And in the original, I feel like they had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's I don't a very, that's going a on. perfect analogy. <laughs> I'm sure they did have a lot of fun. Filming that original film. a lot of fun. <laughs> But it didn't translate onto the film to the audience so much. And, and like I said, like, um, 
if you really want to break it down, the bones of the original film, I think, are actually kind of strong with this, like, airborne battalion um, mm -hmm. that are now using their army skill set in a, um, in a real-world kind of setting, you know, like a more civilian standpoint. And I think that, like, on paper, I think I would actually prefer that type of crew versus the crew mm -hmm. we've amassed in uh, Ocean's Eleven, the remake. But because everyone gets fleshed out, they're fun. They mm -hmm. we get to joke a lot. You know, the guys are driving the big truck, and then he's got a little toy truck. Like yeah. all this fun shit. Um, the Cockney accent. You know, I know Don Cheadle didn't like it, but I like it. <laughs> um, in the heist, within the heist. You know, it, it's just it's a lot of fun throughout. And I think having uh, Danny Ocean wanting to get back together with his his ex-wife really puts a bow on the whole thing because yeah. you know there's not really a reason for Danny to be there other than to kind of stick it to Mr. Benedict. And, you know, he's such a charismatic guy. I could be convinced that he could convince other people to come out of retirement and come rob a casino with him. Yeah, that was a nice touch, making it personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about money, because then you could be like, oh, well, he's a good guy, because he, he just wants his wife back, you know? <laughs> Even yeah. though he's also got millions for doing this, but yeah. we like to... They focused enough on their relationship, and then that he really does care for her to, to make us care and want us want right. Danny Ocean to succeed through this whole thing because it's not just about money. Right. That was a little, that was a smart addition. Yeah, because I mean, we, what we did here is we took basically, um, you know, does he skirt the line a little bit? But we took a law-abiding citizen and made him the villain, and we took a criminal and made him the hero, mm -hmm. and they did that with a little bit of heart with uh, Julia Roberts character mm -hmm. who um again for not not a lot of screen time yeah and i appreciate that they uh they included her and in that she is part of the plan part of the plan mm -hmm. like i'm gonna get back with my ex so that when it's all said and done when he gets back with his ex we can root for that too it's, it's yeah look everything is tied up in a nice bow mm -hmm. in a really clean way whereas in our original boy you, you gotta feel for this crew <laughs> after really all they did um, so, I guess we'll start uh, with the original ending, like, after the heist. Um, so, they got all the money. Um, Josh was able to get it uh, to the dumps. And now, uh, all the casino owners have been alerted that their money's gone. So all the five casino owners sitting around in a room just talking about, what are we going to do? How are we going to find out about that? And then here comes my favorite character from that original film, Mr. Santos. Betrayed by Cesar Romero. He comes in. He goes, I think I'll do it for you. I think I could find out who got your money. And he goes, I want 30%. <laughs> no, he says, I'm going to ask for a third, but you're not going to give it to me. So I'll just take 30%. He's really smooth I, in this I, scene. I love it. Duke, Duke Santos, by the way. Let's put some respect on his name. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I just love that. Like, uh, one, I didn't even realize, like, I know Cesar Romero, and he had a good interaction with uh with jimmy early in the film but when he comes back well, i was going to just say about oh sorry oh no go ahead i was going to say that's why it's a great turn for his character because when we we're first introduced to him with jimmy um he's, he's sort of seen like we kind of see him the way jimmy sees him like we're just another guy after my mom and her money and then he also has a very weak stomach so jimmy kind of goads him into taking a shot or just having a drink with him and then immediately he has to go to the bathroom so we think here's this guy who just wants her money and he can't even handle his liquor so we think this guy's a loser like right. pretty early in the film and they, i like how they turn that around towards the end i that just was, want to say that 
I, I agree with you. That was such a strong turn because, I, like, at first I'm sitting there like, why? What is this? Why? Why? Yeah. Why, why am I looking at this? You know, I thought it was mostly about Jimmy and his mom and like this mm-hmm. yeah. side character, like you mentioned, was going to be kind of like, eh, let's take a couple shots at him and we'll we'll move forward. But to have him come back in such a strong way, yeah, hey, boys, Duke Santos, I knew you'd come crawling <laughs> to me again. It was like. My only regret is I didn't do the job myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just so good, man. Um, God, thank God Cesar Romero's in this this film. Yeah, because in in, in a way, it's uh, there's a bit of poetic justice for everyone involved in this way. So, mm-hmm. you know, Duke Santos comes in and he's making the rounds, just like uh, Spiros was at the beginning of the film. He's calling a bunch of people. Hey, uh, Jimmy Hoffa. I imagine I don't know what's going. On. <laughs> hey, did you do this one? <laughs> No, okay, but if you do, you got to tell me. Like, I love mm-hmm. that he's calling other mobsters and trying to figure it out. And then to have the mom, like, when Bergdorf dies, the mom, like, makes that connection for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, you tricky little mm-hmm. so I could kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just love that he immediately flips on him. He's like, you know, yeah. I, I told the casino guys 30%. I'm telling you 50 Yeah, he's like, I like 50% a lot more. <laughs> him to make one of the stupidest decisions in I, movie history i i don't know where to, okay so they have all the money safe at this dump you know mm-hmm. could have just left well enough alone and i don't know they could have figured something out but no let's let's be smart here okay so we got tony's body we're in vegas so let's put the money in his coffin and then his widow will transfer it back to san fran that way we can just say we don't have the money and Santos will leave us alone? Yeah, how would that work? How would that work? Like, I Santos know. knows you robbed him. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a mobster. You're talking about the casino guys. Well, especially in the 60s. I mean, you could go missing in that desert as we learn in uh, <laughs> movies like, uh, like Casino. Like Casino? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's still breathing. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, my yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like, you more or less admit that you did it. So by, like, what, putting the money somewhere else? Now Uh, he's just going to go away? Plus, the guy's marrying your mom. Like, you don't think that's going to be awkward at Thanksgiving? (laughs) 20 years? Like, I I just, I just don't, I don't quite get it. I, I guess I appreciate it for the setup to what is a a fairly strong ending, um, honestly, uh, you know, but like, like a lot of things in this film, if you stop to think for a moment, mm-hmm. and the remake does a good job of not letting you think, <laughs> if you stop <laughs> to think for a moment, you're just like, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't imagine that they would easily be able to trace back, like, Sammy Davis Jr.'s character. You know, just like, I don't know, there's, there's so many other ways <laughs> to yeah. get this money out of Vegas. It wasn't the smartest decision. Should we talk about um, the disguises they also used to yeah, transport let, the money, let's, Reggie? So, <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll take over. You, you can take the lead here, Thank Reggie. You. So when they find out that they've been found out by Duke Santos, the best Duke since Duke Phillips of the critic. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Nice pull. <laughs> um, <laughs> they all get into the, like, trash the dump truck as it were and they have shoe polish 
so that they can disguise themselves as black guys because there's a reason for that, I think. Um, and I think really the only reason is to make this like blackface joke, um, which is, man, it, this stuff's going to be hard to get out. It's like, and then they look the same to David Jr. How do you do it? And he starts to answer in earnest, and he's like, I... <laughs> well played. And uh, yeah, it's really, I mean, not that there's good blackface, but this is really bad blackface. <laughs> I don't like. I don't get it. Why are they in blackface, man? You... It's very, it's very unnecessary. They are doing this heist or transportation of the money in the middle of the night where nobody can see them anyway. Right. So, right. and there's not even like security or anything that right. they're trying to hide from. It's an easy let's break in and just put the money in this coffin thing. They're, they didn't even need to wear costumes. They could have done this in their suits with martinis in their hands, Reggie. I don't know why <laughs> they're dressing up, putting blackface on. I think you know, it was go that joke. Yeah. I... I think so. And I read on IMDb, too, they would joke about it with Sammy Davis for years afterwards. Like, really? Was Sammy in on the joke? (laughs) I I don't know, man. That makes uh, makes sense to me, because that's what it feels like. It feels like, like you said, uh, Dean or one of the guys was like a couple martinis, and it's like, hey, what are we... Wouldn't it be funny if we were kind of like you right now? It's like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally could see that, that for years afterwards, and being like... Hey, remember that time we were like, <laughs> oh, God. like I don't know. It was it was um, confusing, like you mentioned, was... unnecessary. Uh, I guess it's called sign of the times. The only thing that uh, this is indefensible, but the only thing in their defense is that at the time, Sammy Davis Jr. even being a member of the Rat Pack was uh, discriminated mm-hmm. against quite a bit. Yeah, um, and you know I guess it's more. I guess when it's your own friends because like they did fight for him to be able to like film and use different facilities in a way that yeah. like, they could too. So get up on the Rat Pack for that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's misogynistic, uh, at times racist, and <laughs> I'm sure anti-everything, uh, homophobic, I'm sure, as they could be. The one upside is that like someone as talented as Sammy Davis Jr. was able to make a lot of strides for uh, people that look like me um, and he did it from a way uh, of, like, entertainment, which, you know, sometimes that's how you have to break in. So uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was on marquees and couldn't even walk through the front entrance. entrance. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, moving- just a, yeah, I was going to say, just a poor decision. You know, I, I probably thought it was funny back then. It was probably got a laugh in the theater, I'm sure, sure back sure. then. Um, but, you know, like you said, they, they had Sammy in the movie. They fought for him to get, like, equal rights. Like you said, he wasn't even allowed to stay at the hotel's. Right. Well, they were filming. They're like, you got to go to the, the colors only. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This, this is our right. friend. You can't do that. He is staying with us in the hotel. That's just ridiculous. So they definitely, you know, fought for him, even though some one little bad yeah. decision in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, there's no way that uh, Sammy Davis Jr. wasn't, unfortunately, used to that type of behavior and stuff like that. Um, I think that sometimes, like, even a decision like that to even participate in that, like, we have to put it in a historical context. Mm-hmm. Look, the guy was the biggest star, especially for a black guy at the time. Like, yeah. Like, he was incredible. And honestly, without, like, a Sammy Davis Jr., it's a lot tougher for a lot more people um, during that time. So, he's, he, look, he was a trailblazer. And, uh, uh, like I said, look, we can talk about it all day. It was a poor choice, but, you know, moving, moving past that. So, they put the money in the coffin, as it were. Nobody took the time to tell uh, Bergdorf's widow that they pulled off a heist, that there was enough money for her and her kids, that they were keeping her in the dark. Um, 
it might have been a good idea to kind of shore that up. I don't think she would have told yeah. A funeral costs money. She had mm-hmm. a little bit of money saved up and said, look, it, they convinced her it costs less to cremate the body than it does to transport it. And it's a compelling argument to me, too. Mm-hmm. So you get this, uh, you get this pretty funny, for the times, uh, interaction where... They're well, I just the- want to, before oh. you get to there, I just want to give more credit to Duke Santos, because at this point, the boys think they did it, right? They're like, oh, we got the money here, she's going to transport the body, and we're going to be fine. And then Santos paid off the, the, the guy, the head of the funeral home, to, like, alert him if any weird things were happening. So as soon as all ten of those guys walk in, um, he's, like, tipped off already. So Santos is just, like, on. He's like, you know, you think you got rid of me? You think you outsmarted me? No, no, I know exactly where you assholes are. So he shows up at the funeral, right? They're all sitting there. They all see him. They're like, fuck, how did he know? So, again, just credit to Duke Santos just being right there. They think they're a step ahead of him? Nope. He's right behind them. Yeah. It, it's like the, uh, it's almost like the reverse Benedict. Benedict, who was super capable and thought he knew what was going on, mm-hmm. actually his strength was his weakness because he thought he had everything shored yep. up and couldn't imagine the world in which he got robbed. Uh, Duke Santos is just like, they may, these military guys aren't used to this crime stuff. I'm the king of crime. Yeah. And he, he hasn't figured out in minutes, knows every move they're going to make, Plays him like a fiddle. It's it's a beautiful portrayal. Sees Romero coming in super strong on this on this yeah. one. And like you said, when he shows up at the at the funeral, I'm in the same boat too. I'm sitting there like, uh, <laughs> how are they gonna get out of this one? Because mm-hmm. not only um, was they alerted, was he alerted that um, these weird guys have showed up? But hey, I found a ten thousand uh, dollar wrapper <laughs> for cash right next to the coffin. It was very strange. And then sees Romero's just playing with it looking at the guys going yeah, i know exactly what you guys did it's yep. so great yep and in what i will say is also one of the more memorable fun scenes i'm sure this is iconic uh, we referenced that like uh uh this is referenced in other popular medium like uh reservoir dogs for instance um you get this ridiculous game of telephone where they're sitting there listening to the eulogy and you hear the i guess the cremation <laughs> i don't know what you would call it machine firing up and they're all like what's that sound and what's that sound what's that sound what's that sound <laughs> it goes down the line and then some random dude's like oh it's a cremator cremator cremate cremate and it goes back <laughs> down um and they all get this oh my god moment. and duke santos gets it because <laughs> santos can over here and he's just like what <laughs> these idiots <laughs> and he's right these idiots <laughs> you know um when, when, like, Jimmy's own mom is like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Duke Santos is saying you're an idiot, and you burn up all the money. You're an idiot. I love that this movie took that chance and had this sort of, like, you know, uh, nobody wins kind of outcome. Mm-hmm. Because if you take that out of the equation, it's a pretty, like, I don't know. It, it's, I know it's an iconic film, and, you know, it's, you got a grade on the scale and all this stuff, but it's not... It's not that great of a movie, to be honest. It seems more like a <laughs> Rat Pack. Like, look with, look at them with a somewhat interesting script that yeah. lend itself to a, you know, remake territory. Someone to pick up the mantle and, like, make it different, you know? Yeah. I thought the ending was not going to be what happened. Like, I thought when the body was in the, getting cremated, I thought 
Maybe it was an elaborate thing to make Santos think the money was in the coffin, mm -hmm. but maybe after putting it in the coffin, they, maybe there's a scene afterward that they did like a switcheroo. So maybe what they did a fake out on us, like the remake would be famous for. But no, they just fucking put all the money in the coffin and they fucked themselves pretty yeah. hard. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really clever, this ending. Oh, no. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Never mind. Nothing clever here, my friend. <laughs> Turn the fuse off, take the money, put the money in my friend's coffin, take the money out of here, and we'll want blackface for a reason. Okay. <laughs> it's a great plan. Um, just their, like, their reaction at the end, just walking off into the strip, just being like, well, yeah. <laughs> We suck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did appreciate that. Um, like, your, to your point, yes, would it have been cool if that was actually, like, the, the double switcheroo, the fake out, fake out. Um, I don't think at the time they had it in them <laughs> to, <laughs> to make the film that interesting. I think, I think honestly, the Rat Pack looked at it, it was like, oh, it's kind of fun. Like, it's cool, these mm -hmm. guys. Because at the end of the day, the Rat Pack were winners, so they didn't mind right. playing losers. Yeah, that's true. This is very true. I mean, how much money did they make, man? Like, while they're filming this thing, they're just doing Rat Pack stuff. They're selling out yeah. five different casinos. Like, they're all doing each other's shows. There's, mm -hmm. there's broads, there's booze, you know? Like, <laughs> that must have been a lot of goddamn fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying, um, they would do their gigs at, like, I don't know, late at night and then after they did their gigs then they would do the filming so yeah they were working and then they were filming so yeah they made a lot of money during this whole filming process mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and i'm sure they had fun hanging out and yeah. <laughs> getting drunk and womanizing whatever the rat pack did back well, then i was gonna you know? say that that honestly it's a miracle we even have a film because they must have been hammered like the entire <laughs> time dude. like um like uh the girl playing the drunk the drunk chick she was probably actually drunk <laughs> you know it, it was a, it was a good ending. Um, I think the ending really elevates the film, in my opinion. If you didn't have that sort of um, somber ending, as it were, I think that you have a pretty run-of-the-mill, yeah, I guess, heist film, and it, it's more than that because they take the chance of not actually succeeding. Yeah, it's better than like if the the guys who had an okay plan like got away with it i thought the introduction of the santos character was was great uh he really brought me back to the film because i was getting pretty bored and i was like wait a minute wait a minute this guy seems really smart he seems really interesting and then just to have them completely blow it after that you know it's uh because you think at that point oh they're gonna do one over on him no nope. <laughs> they did much worse than that and uh yeah to take the rat pack and then just make them like all idiots at the end of it. it's, it's a nice twist on it so yeah. it's definitely better than just oh they're rich and now they're even banging more bras i don't know right. you know right. yeah it, like i said uh the runtime on the original film is its biggest weakness you take that down half an hour i'm not complaining nearly as mm -hmm. much but okay you know this is yeah. what it is um i guess other than uh what we talked about in the endings is there is there really anything else like loosens that we should address i mean we talked about the blackface thing so that's done <laughs> um and you know like we talked about some of the challenges they had apparently one of the biggest challenges in the original film was actually getting the trash truck you know the yeah that's what i read too they getting uh, nevada to be okay with that <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean and honestly if they didn't get the trash truck they probably would have done something else and it would have worked just as fine too yeah uh, 
I think it's more interesting as trivia than it is as a film. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, seriously, I really do. I think that like everything that had to come together to make that film is the strength of the original film. Whereas the remake, I think they took that storyline and said, how do we make this better? Um, mm-hmm. and, and to that point, should we get into uh, our verdicts? or? Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're pretty much there. Okay. All right, here we go, man. Reggie, should the remake of Ocean's Eleven exist? Yeah, this is a pretty easy one. Um, <laughs> the remake, <laughs> I mean, look, the remake to Ocean's Eleven should exist because I think they took what was a decent story that was executed poorly, in my opinion. Um, yes, I don't think I'm being too critical here. It was executed poorly, um, and they... They gave it more backstory. They they made characters who aren't nearly as famous or iconic as the uh, the Rat Pack, but they made kind of character actors, really, like stars, like interesting people. And uh, every single character had a purpose for being there. It was a tight film, even for what I would say is probably a bit too much of a runtime for that film, too. I think you should, in general, cut 20 minutes off of it. Um, and I think it, it works a little bit better, but it's it's a it's a strong showing. There's a reason that it launched a million follow-ups afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it took Clooney and Pitt's career, which were already super strong, but it took it into another level of saying like this is the star power of George Clooney just like smoldering into a camera, <laughs> you know, and like flirting with Julia Roberts. So in that sense, I mean, you know, yeah, there's acting, but like it's George Clooney kind of playing like this sort of idealized version of George Clooney and he does it really well and I, I appreciate the film I'm glad uh, I'm glad it exists I think it may have been too successful because it rose to the level of parody when it was all mm. said and done but I think that is because we all secretly love this shit no matter how dumb it yeah. kind of is yeah I mean for me it's <laughs> yes <laughs> this film should obviously exist I mean it redefined the heist genre you just said uh, a lot of films spoofed it, I mean, or not spoofed it, but like took inspiration from it. I mean, we did Italian Job. We talked about this movie so much during our Italian Job episode. So yes, obviously this film should exist. I mean, they just did so many things right. Like I talked about, like the the way they did the montages, just to get things moving, because it could really be a tough task just to get as much as done as they needed to get done, because you have so many people and they have so many different roles, and just to like make sure that nobody's really kind of left behind or just like forgotten about you know elliot ghoul falls pretty close to that because he doesn't really do much during the actual heist itself but um he still has a really memorable scene in the beginning so you don't forget his character uh, same cannot be said of the characters in that original oceans 11 i don't know half of the guys yeah i don't know what they why they needed the specific guy the only thing i could think of is well, it's the whole theme is that they were in our, the war together, so they're all just war buddies. That's why we need them. I don't know why we needed that elaborate introduction to the the cowboy with a broken arm who didn't really have a broken arm, and we see him maybe one more time after that. Yeah, I think you really nailed it before. Like, Ocean's Eleven, the remake, like, you're having fun with them. Ocean's Eleven, the original, they're just having fun by themselves. They, they don't really care if you're having fun because they're having a great time. You get to see the Rat Pack. Aren't you lucky you get to see the Rat Pack hanging out? Um, 
Yeah, it was, I was pretty bored watching that original film. Okay. It's just the repetition of five different casinos, you know, consolidating that into one casino. Very smart decision of the remake. Um, yeah, it, it, this is an easy one. Of course it should exist. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. that uh, <clears throat> From the perspective of uh, doing a remake right, I think that this hits a lot of the categories I think we both mm -hmm. have learn to sort of agree with in terms of film one something that you always say like they did enough different mm -hmm. from the original two the thing that i always talk about it was fun you know so mm -hmm. like if you can distinguish yourself from the original while being fun and like i don't think anyone any reasonable human being complains that they remade oceans 11 based off the product that we got you know yeah um like the last movie that was in this vein that I can really think of was like The Fly. I thought that like it was just so original and different from the other film. Mm -hmm. And this this movie, though it's a little bit closer to the source material, it just it went off and it made these characters interesting and they yeah. really knew how to do an ensemble cast. So yeah, it really it, redefined the genre totally. in general. Like we said, so many films were just like, oh, let's just do an Oceans because <laughs> yeah. that works. People like that. Yeah. I had a feeling, just because I know you had experience with this film, I've had experience with it, I had a feeling that this is the conclusion we were going to come to, but uh, yeah. it was definitely worth taking the journey, because uh, juxtapositioning it against the original film, I mm -hmm. think was important, and it, if yeah. you haven't seen the original Oceans, it's still worth seeing, it's long, um, you may want to break it up, maybe do it in like two sittings. <laughs> That's um, what I did, actually. <laughs> I, I imagine you did, uh, um, but like, yeah, I mean, it's... It, piece of uh, America, Americana, a little bit of history, there but it's not, it's not it's not that great of a film. It's not that great. You want to see the Rat Pack? You get to see the Rat Pack. I mean, you want to see Dean Martin sing Ain't That a Kick in the Head three times? You're yeah. going to see Dean Martin sing Ain't That a Kick in the Head. I mean, we didn't, we barely even talked about Dean Martin, because he doesn't oh, really should, do anything we in the movie. We should talk about, we should talk about the music. Let's, let's, I know we did the, the ending part mm. already, but like, we should talk about the music. Let's just do it really quick here. Sure. Um, the original film, like we said, kicking the head, and Sammy Davis Jr. does like this extended version of EO 11. Mm -hmm. And like every time something kind of happens, either someone sings that song <laughs> or it plays in the back and just the instrumental. And that started to just drill into my head. I was losing <laughs> my mind. Or someone was singing, Ain't That a Kick in the Head? And I was like, I, I cannot do this much longer. <laughs> it's funny because uh, we never really talk before we, we meet for the podcast. And uh, this is one of the few instances Reggie had to text me. He goes, if I hear EO11 one more fucking time. <laughs> Say it again, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Say EO11 one more time. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> oh, man. Where's like the, the remake? I know because you're, you're the music guy. You know, I just bought a guitar and i'm gonna play it poorly for the rest of my life but, uh, um i'm trying to remember the remake music i felt like it just kind of like they had one big hit i remember when the movie came out that that elvis song that that was kind of remixed a little less conversation a little more action that was a big song back in the day it played so well in that montage yeah uh so it was that a lot of cool kind of jazzy like slow bass lines with some like trumpets playing over it you know just cool music that cool vibe yeah. of this cool movie yeah i think you know we talk about the rat pack i think that really some especially at the time in hollywood those are like 
the only people I could think of that could like reasonably contend with the Rat Pack, like yeah. a Clooney and a Pit. I mean, if you mm-hmm. were doing this today, I think Idris Elba would be in the mix somewhere. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he'd be the Rusty for sure, at least. For sure, but like, um, but like, no, two two very strong actors. Uh, they don't really dip into misogyny. Um, they're just kind of like yeah. they're the sexy Hollywood hunks, you know. Uh, people, or time, yeah, People Magazine's hottest man of the year. Mm-hmm. That, that's what you got here. Um, you got three Rat- of them. You got Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Eventually, would be so like. I love they kind of just dunk on Matt Damon. <laughs> it's such a fun choice. Yeah, man. Look, uh, look. I had fun. I, I think. I think you did too, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, it was good. Still holds up today. I mean, obviously, it's been done to death since it came out, but uh, it's still a strong one. I guess I'm gonna assume of the whole Ocean's trilogy. It's probably the best one. So, I mean, I remember seeing the second one. I didn't say this in the beginning, but I saw the second one in theaters. I was with one of my buddies, and like the whole twist was like. It wasn't really a heist anyway. Like, they already kind of did it. And then my buddy was just like, this is fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> like, he hated the second Oceans so so much. And that's why I didn't see the third one. Because we just we didn't have a good experience with that second one. Yeah, but the first one, the first one's really yeah. good. That's what happened. It kind of became referential. And like you said, because the genre, they literally, like you mentioned, redefined the genre. So everything became mm-hmm. referential to uh, Oceans if you were doing a heist movie, which is... In a lot of ways, like, this one's still fun, but, like, in a lot of ways, it becomes goofy and dumb. Like, this guy steals the key card, then he hands it to that guy, mm-hmm. then that guy uses the key card, then that guy hacks the mainframe, then that guy uses the camera, then that guy. And, then, like, it becomes this goofy <laughs> plot just to have a plot thing. Mm-hmm. But this is, like, the purest version of it. Like, the yeah. early on, Sodenberg taking, like, something, like we mentioned, like, Ocean's Eleven, the original, like... It's cool, but like there's not much there. And he took it and was like, "I could make this better," and he yeah. did. Yeah. You know. So credit where credits due, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. I think was thirteen the one with Pacino. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that one. I, that one was better than twelve, but. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. They, but they, I don't know. maybe I'll watch it one track, day. But who cares? <laughs> cool. So, yeah. What did you guys think? Uh, any fans of the original want to defend it out there <laughs> you know let us know um, EO 11 reasons why you love <laughs> there you go some EO 11 <laughs> um, but that's what we thought of the Oceans movies uh, let us know what you guys think uh, in the comments uh, for sure um, let's decide what we're going to do next Sure. I have a suggestion if you want to indulge me here I got a little bit of a story <laughs> Okay. It's not a great story, but it's, it's well, I wanted to tell it. I've been practicing it. Just like uh, George Clooney practiced that speech for Brad Pitt. So um, I was watching uh, Knives Out, mm-hmm. that movie, that murder mystery movie. Uh, I was watching it with my wife, and then she, I, I, like, I like that genre, that murder mystery genre. So I was having a good time. It's not not a great movie, but you know, I'm just good enough, fun I enough. I liked it enough. And then uh, my wife was like, this reminds me of a lot of this book I read. Um, and then there were none. She's like, you, I think you'd really like that. So she bought me the book. It's Agatha Christie, murder mystery writer, one of the greats. Um, so I really got into it, and then I read another one of her books, which is what I think we should do for the next film, Murder on the Orient Express. Because there was a movie that came out in the late 70s or early 80s, and then there was a remake that came out a few years ago. So I think that would be a nice, fun one for us to do also. I think, I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, I'm aware of the remake. I'm aware of the original. 
Honestly, uh, there's no time. It's quarantine times. I might even be able to get the book in before yeah. watching films. It's not a it's not a hard read. It's like tight 300 pages, so oh, nice. might might be able to do it. Yeah, if I start today, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm with it. Cool. Excited about that. <laughs> they both have like pretty big all star casts too, so it's sort of similar to this Ocean's deal. So. Cool. 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 All right. Well, that does it. Thanks again for listening. You know, you could hear us on, well, this is YouTube, so if you're on there, leave a comment below. Or if you're listening to uh, this podcast on any other platform, Spotify, iTunes. If you're on iTunes, if you could leave us a good review there, that would greatly help us out, too. And for um, two of you, we're on uh, Google Play. There you go. All two of you on Google Play. And we never forgot about you guys. Any of the social, ah, you can reach us on any of the social medias at Retro versus Remake. I'm Dan Bulick. I'm Reggie Parker. And thanks for listening to another episode of Retro Versus Remake. Remake.